there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is Dr. Krista Miller, who is the director of music and organist at the Co-Cathedral of the Sacred Heart in Houston, Texas. Uh, she is um, on the committee chair for procuring Martin Pazzi's Opus Number no. 19 organ, and she leads a growing music and concert program there. A member of East-West Organists, uh, she has performed in seven countries and 20 states, including her 2015 multimedia series called Projections for Houston Arts Alliance and the City of Houston. At the National Convention of American Guild of Organists in, in Houston, she presented uh, a, a demonstration on the works of uh, Tournemir and Hakim. And this work uh, was published in 2014's collection Mystic Modern, The Music, Thought and Legacy of Charles Tournemir. Um, so, uh, in this convention, uh, which uh, just uh, recently happened in Houston, uh, Krista chaired uh, the New Music Committee for the AGO and was in charge of uh, 15 different co new compositions, uh, spectacular 21st century composers and uh, organists from all over the world uh, could experience new and vital organ uh, as a part of uh, uh, living tradition. Krista has just released her new double CD on the Martin Pazzi Opus 19, uh, which is called Bonjour and Willkommen on ACES Productions, uh, and the executive producer is Jeffrey Silver. And uh, this uh, CD project features uh, m the main organ colors uh, of the uh, organ by Martin Pazzi in Sacred Heart Co-Cathedral. And uh, the idea behind uh, this CD is to feature both French and German traditions which are combined in this instrument. So in today's conversation, we talk about uh, all those things, about uh, her experience uh, with organizing and making Houston Convention possible, uh, about uh, her organ at uh, Sacred Heart Co-Cathedral, uh, Opus 19, that Martin Pazzi so uh, fantastically built, and also about uh, her um, experience and uh, um, basically music program in that cathedral, fantastic uh, ideas that she continues to produce and uh, I hope you will find this uh, uh, conversation inspiring because at the end of it Krista shares one thing she wish she knew when she first started playing the organ and it's very very fascinating let's go to the show Krista, I'm so delighted to be able to finally talk uh, talk with you uh, and um, it's so fascinating uh, knowing that you've been uh, on the on the committee uh, of a new new music committee at uh, American Guild of Organists uh, National Convention in Houston, and you just uh, have many many things and many stories to tell. I I bet right. So let's start with this. Um, uh, first of all, thank you so much for your generosity and your time and your sharing of ideas. I hope uh, people will be inspired with you and, um, and welcome to the show.
Thank you so much. It's really uh, great to chat with you. I've enjoyed your show for some time now, and I think it's really great uh, that you are bringing organists um, from around the world together to uh, make a community and so that we can inspire each other and work hard together. So I'm really happy to be here. Fantastic. So you you just uh, made a terrific terrific work uh, organizing uh, uh, things in in Houston, right? In National Convention of of the AGO. Can you tell us a little bit uh, of your experience uh, firsthand? Yes, um, uh, it was a wonderful national convention. Um, of course, a, a number of very talented people worked on uh, this program for a period of about six years. I'm not sure if people realize how uh, much advance notice uh, all of the national conventions have. So um, I believe in the beginning there were about 44 individuals. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, quite a number of us worked on various aspects of the program. And I think that that's why um, the product turned out so good. Uh, the performances were wonderful. The worship services were terrific. Um, the workshops were really uh, varied and inspiring. And, uh, and of course, as you mentioned, I was uh, in charge of new music. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I'm a little biased, but I think that turned out well, too. <laughs> Great. And you had uh, many pieces commissioned, right, for that occasion. Uh, can you tell a, a little bit about the composers and the pieces uh, and, and the yeah. organists also? Yes, we um, we uh, my committee uh, was a very fine committee. Uh, my deputy uh, chair was a composer himself, uh, Michael Remsen, and a longtime friend, um, and so that really helped us in the commissioning process. We decided that we wanted to commission two types of works. Mm -hmm. We wanted to um, have a set of free works. Um, where the composers were not given a lot of constraints other than time. Um, and we also wanted to commission a set of works that were based on chorale preludes, particularly chorale preludes that were written uh, since 1960 and probably don't have as much music um, uh, based on them. Um, so uh, we had eight composers, uh, well, we had 15 total, and we had eight who wrote free works, um, and then we had seven who wrote based on chorale preludes. Mm -hmm. So, it is, it, is, it is a fantastic occasion that so many compo composers, living composers, can share their work and uh, uh, be able to present new ideas, right, to the organ world. Because, uh, let's face it, uh, to this uh, Houston uh, National Organ um, Organist Convention, people go from around the world, right? And the exp exposure is, is probably uh, global, right? And th through videos, through multimedia and technology. Technology. So it's a very, very uh, good initiative that American Guild of Organists um, uh, takes and uh, uh, presents those new living composers with new organ works. Yes, um, and we really we wanted to be very encouraging this this convention. We wanted to encourage people like Joan Tower mm -hmm. and Erica Wazen, who don't really write for the organ very often, but we felt like as excellent composers they should. So um, we particularly wanted to encourage them to do more with our instruments. Um, we think that the uh, the results were very good. Um, we also wanted to encourage people who have been commissioned many times to continue their good work, and that would be um, people like Emily Deemer mm -hmm. and. Nashi Hakeem and uh, Adolphus Hale Stork. And then um, finally with the chorale-based works, we especially wanted to encourage our colleagues um, who 
are organists themselves and compose, but maybe don't identify themselves as strictly composers, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So this would be people like um, Becky Teveld and David Dahl and Chelsea Chen, who we feel are doing excellent work and we should give their compositions um, some exposure. Uh, and then finally, I didn't mention this before, but um, so the seven chorale-based works, we, uh, we envisioned this new chorale collection um, modeled after the Bayou, I'm sorry, modeled after uh, J.S. Bach's Orville Bukeline. Um, we called it the Bayou Bukeline because um, Houston has a lot of bayous in it. If, you, uh, if you're not familiar with that Texas word, it's kind of like a creek or a small river. Uh -huh. um, so we have a lot of bodies of water um, in Texas and so, or in Houston specifically. So we called it the Bayou Bukeline. We had those seven commissions. And then we also ran a competition um, and tried to get the word out among our colleagues, particularly people who improvise um, and maybe need to write down their improvisations. Um, and then we, so we rounded out this collection with another 34, uh, actually with a total of 34 works. Um, so with several other works that were submitted um, and judged by a panel. So we wanted to encourage our colleagues who, are, who may not be exposed as composers to get a little exposure. Fantastic idea to extend uh, the Bach's idea into the 21st century. Have you heard, Krista, that uh, British uh, organist uh, um, William Whitehead also initiates uh, this, uh, the new organ Buchlein project where he invited uh, um, all, all composers uh, from all around the world and uh, asked them to write specific uh, chorale preludes based on the themes, based on the tunes that Bach himself didn't write in that collection. Oh, yes. to finish it, yes. To finish, yeah. So, I love it. So that sounds like a beautiful idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Bach himself uh, didn't, for some, some, for some reason, maybe didn't have time, maybe lost interest. We don't know, right? But uh, and your idea uh, from from the AGO is also beautiful to take probably other tunes, right, and to present them into the chorale prelude form that that people in 21st century could uh, be exposed to the. Um, traditional tunes, but maybe more contemporary language, I would assume, right? Yes, we definitely wanted this collection to be used. Mm -hmm. um, that was an overall theme um, of my committee for all the commissions. We really wanted... Um, Yes, we wanted people to be at their most creative, mm -hmm. but we also really hoped that the compositions would have legs or mm -hmm. you know, they would leave the convention and, and get use. So I, I think it's actually fascinating that, you know, our, Bach is a great father to all of us. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting that he sort of calls us from the grave. You know, he's still contributing to the art um, and, and being a great influence uh, to composers even, you know, some 300 years later. So I mm -hmm. think that's actually pretty fascinating. Fantastic. And how how the new music that was commissioned was received among the organists that were listening? We think that um, uh, we have, we've had a lot of nice mm -hmm. feedback about the compositions. I mean, I think I, I think it's always interesting to hear people say what they like, and then some people to say, "Well, no, that was too challenging for me," or "I found that difficult." I think I think that's a really good balance. When I think you get mostly positive feedback, and then a, a few things that people find you know challenging. But I also think that accounts for individual taste. Mm 
Um, and, um, you know, I was just, I was really pleased for the composers who attended um, and, and were able to get uh, a lot of love from their fellow organists. So that, that was a, a success, I believe. Yes, and, you know, there is a, um, a little bit of the, of the, um, idea that organ music uh, uh, had its day, its glory, its golden age in previous centuries, right? And uh, not so much right now, because uh, maybe let's let's say the religion is not so much a part of people's life, traditional uh, church uh, services in Western societies at least. So what you did with AGO, I think, is uh, tremendously important to make the organ music... Uh, um, uh, you know, uh, so, so to say, um, uh, to make it uh, uh, come alive in the 21st century, also to be used and to appreciate it as as well. We deliberately try to uh, uh, work on that theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we uh, very intentionally chose uh, our rising stars to do a premiere of several works from Bayou Buchline. So mm-hmm. we had a specific recital program and then it was played by, you know, basically young lions of the organ. They had their their uh, winner's recitals. You know, those rising stars have won a regional competition in order to play at the convention. But outside of that, we also had them each premiere two of the Bayou Buchline works. And mm-hmm. it was fun to see them work together. They, they happened to do it at Sacred Heart, which is my church. And um, I can just tell you some behind the scenes. Um, practice time on the organ here um, over four days uh, there were 12 players of the organ in the convention all total um, and so practice time was running around the clock and it was just really nice to see um, these young many of them are college students these young college students working together um, and and to do these premieres and they did a beautiful job so we tried to also incorporate sort of the next generation into this idea of living living music and and people who will um be in the profession a long time. Fantastic idea. And I know, Krista, that you presented yourself uh, at the conventions uh, about uh, the music of Turnamir and uh, Naji Hakim, too. So can you tell us a little bit uh, what your presentation was about uh, and um, um, a little bit of the ideas you shared in Houston? That would be very interesting. Um, I, I've long been fascinated with the music of Naji Hakim. Um, I uh, met him in 97, um, and uh, we share a little bit of background in common in that we both started out as engineers, and music was a second career for each of us. And so um, we've known each other a long time, and um, uh, I've... Uh, uh, done a little bit of study on what makes his music interesting. Um, the Tornamir connection came about for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if you, anyone who looks at the tradition of organists around San Clotilde, so mm-hmm. we're talking about um, the lineage of uh, César Franck to Tornamir to Langley. Uh, to Hakim, um, I think if you look at those four uh, composers and the composition school that uh, arose around that organ, I think there are definite similarities. Um, a few years ago in the United States, uh, there were two conferences around the music of Tornemir, and particularly speaking of uh, Orgelbuchlein, particularly around uh, Tornemir's uh, volume Lorg Mystique, which Tornemir considered uh, the Catholic modern um, 
orgobucline. So he basically took uh, the 51 sets of Gregorian chants for mass and then wrote a collection of works Mm -hmm. um, based on uh, those tunes and called the entire thing uh, Lorg Mystique. So um, the conference organizers approached me and asked me if I would uh, do a little uh, a presentation on just kind of the lineage between Tornemir and Hakim. Mm-hmm. And so um, that work is actually published in a book called uh, Mystic Modern, um, and it is uh, available on Amazon. And mm-hmm. it's a really wonderful collection of different essays and aspects of Tornemir. Um, what I presented at AGO was a summary of uh, that and then some, some other works, basically comparing these two composers specifically um, around... Uh, a sort of test set of pieces. So I looked at uh, Hakim's The Embrace of Fire, which is dedicated to Tornemir based on some Hindu modes that Tornemir used. Um, And also uh, Hakim's time at the Basilica of the Sacred Heart in Paris. Uh, And then I compared that to what Tornemir was doing in his office for the Sacred Heart. It has some personal interest to me since I work for the Co-Cathedral of the Sacred Heart as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of uh, art here that's associated with um, with that theme. Um, so uh, what I talked about a little bit at the uh, at the AGO was I believe that at those at the at that period of time of those two composers works, they were each experimenting um, using um, uh, influences from the Orient um, and experimenting, and which sort of reflected where they might go next. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of Tornemir Lorg Mystique, it seems like he's really breaking open um, tonality, trying mm-hmm. to push as, as far as he can. You can sort of identify some prototypes of Hindu modes that appear in his later works, mm-hmm. um, such mm-hmm. as the Seven Last Words. Not quite um, explicit uses, but seems to experiment. And then the same with Embrace of Fire. Hakim uses Hindu modes, which by the time of Hakim, as a young man, that was pretty accepted in Paris and not considered foreign. Mm -hmm. Um, And later you see Hakim really switching to his native Arabic modes. So I think they each, at this point in their lives, were um, kind of indicating where their experiments may go next. Isn't that great that, uh, you know, this great French tradition uh, which started with Frank and others and continued in the 20th century uh, was later expanded by those uh, Oriental and non-European influences like you were talking about uh, Hindu uh, rhythms and modes uh, and Arabic uh, also ideas, right? Uh, so, so this European tradition is blending somehow with the Oriental tradition, in and gives birth birth uh, to something else, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned uh, a moment ago about the American Guild of Organists becoming a more global organization. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that um, actually this is a really fascinating time. I think that the uh, integration of of uh, musical ideas from cultures that aren't necessarily organ-centric um, is really enlivening to the art and a very interesting one and one that helps uh, globalize it. I think that maybe um, what we see today is that perhaps we 
we're more used to this idea and perhaps we're more accepting um, to, to hear uh, modes that are identified as Arabic. Um, whereas I think in Tornemir's day, I think uh, the use of Hindu modes alongside, ch- uh, alongside Gregorian chant was perhaps a little bit more um, scandalous is the wrong word, but per- shocking maybe. And mm-hmm. so I think where you see Tornemir, uh, where he is, when he is using Hindu modes, he's very cap- careful to keep them separate from uh, the Western influences such as Gregorian chant. But Hakim uh, in the 20th and 21st century seems to be very comfortable um, reharmonizing or re uh, melodicizing a Gregorian melody uh, and just switching modes and putting it into some Arabic mode. Um, I think our ears hear that and hear it as very interesting and fresh. I think ne- we don't necessarily, um, you know, of course, there are 72 Hindu modes and there are many Arabic scales called makamat. And I, I don't think we necessarily hear those and identify what they are, but we do uh, have our ears peaked and our interest um, sort of. Uh, stroked a little bit when we hear those devices. You know, I'm curious, Krista, both of these great masters, uh, Naji Hakim and uh, Charles Tournemir, was, were uh, improvisers, right? And um, yes. do you know or it happened to, to hear, hear uh, of, uh, of them, or at least uh, Naji Hakim, uh, using, uh, for example, uh, oriental ideas in, in, in his, for example, improvisations as well? Absolutely. Actually, there's a there's a history of at least the Carnotic modes or mm. the, the Hindu modes mm. um, uh, used in French documents and treatises on improvisation. And I think those those improvisation treatises really give us a window into the compositional pro. Uh, compositional process, because of course improvisation is just composition on the spot. Mm-hmm. So um, quite a bit before, um, uh, I'm looking up this date really quickly. So Tornemir's improvisation treatise was written in 1936. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course we know Lord Mystique was written 1927 to 32. So this is why I'm wondering, he was experimenting a little bit before perhaps he had the courage to write it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course in, in 1925, Dupre had also mentioned um, Carnotic modes as materials for improvisation. I mean, we certainly can look at uh, Messiaen and his uh, technique of my musical language um, and and also the allusions to um, oriental scales and his construction of his own scales. So I think absolutely we find um, uh, not just allusions, but, you know, blatant recommendations mm-hmm. to the beginning improviser um, to construct these modes for themselves, how to derive them. There's a quick way that you can make any Hindu mode. You don't have to know the name. You can just quickly devise it um, and to use those scales as improvisation exercises. Right. You're probably referring to the idea of juxtaposing two different um, tetrachords, right? Uh, uh, yes. One on top of the other. And uh, um, I, if I remember correctly, there are six tetrachords, right? Going from C to F and another set of six from C to F sharp, right? Uh, of the interval of augmented fourth. And uh, if you juxtapose them and make make up a scale, you have not 36 modes, but uh, as you say, 72. Am I correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are. You are. Uh, I learned this from Najee Hakim, mm. uh, and it's 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 another way of of saying what you said. Uh, what you said is correct. Um, but uh, his his 
solution or his quick explanation to me some years ago was uh, take a tonic and take its dominant, a fifth apart. That's those are constant. Then uh, take the subdominant and then put any other combination in between. Um, and that will be a Hindu mode. Then you can do the same thing, tonic and dominant. Then instead of the regular subdominant, you raise the subdominant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then any other combination of notes in between. So, But your way is also correct. Mm-hmm. And in, actually in, in, um, in Arabic scales, it's always based on two specific tetrachords. Mm-hmm. And those tetrachords have a name. So yes, so bo- both of these ways are correct, yep. Uh, for people who are interested in 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 uh, 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 reading about those tetrachords and how they uh, can be juxtaposed and make uh, made in two modes, I think uh, Dupre's improvisation treatise is a very good idea because he systematically lists lists those tetrachords one through six and another set of one through six, and people can then um, combine them in in various ways. Yes, yes, it's really a way um, to push. I think it's just really a way to push chromatic harmony almost to the point of serialism, but not quite. It still has like a, 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 maybe it still has a pleasing sound to us, whereas mm-hmm. serialism maybe doesn't sound as nice to the ears sometimes. So yes, it's Fan- right. Fantastic. So you hear, heard uh, Naji Hakim live in Houston, right? You know, he uh, he played actually at my church at the mm-hmm. Cathedral of the Sacred Heart. Uh, Mahdi Bernadette Duforset Hakim, his wife, actually uh-huh. did the premiere of his piece. We commissioned right. a piece called Fandango from him, and she did a beautiful premiere. It was really uh, wonderful and exciting. Um, but because they were both here, um, I told him, "Well, you have please come and play a Sunday mass at my church." So that was an unofficial event, but um, very well attended. And of course, um, uh, he has played on our Martin Posse organ here one other time in 2011 and it was wonderful to have him back and well received well Martin Pazzi it's uh, he is a very good friend of mine and he appeared on this uh, podcast a while ago and his opus 19 right uh, stands in your yes. cathedral so fantastic can you tell a little bit about uh, this instrument and this idea and uh, and uh, how uh, what inspired you to to invite Martin Pazzi to build the organ for you Oh, I I couldn't tell you enough good things about Martin Posse. Um, so uh, I knew uh, of Martin um, from my uh, from my doctoral studies at Eastman. Uh, when when I was at the Eastman School of Music, uh, there was a new project that my professor Hans Davidson was uh, was heading um, called the Eastman Rochester Organ Initiative, or EROI for short. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was, at the time was a revolutionary a little bit crazy idea to invite uh, some of the best organ builders in the United States together for a meeting and a conference to share ideas. And it was just very um, revolutionary because, of course, you think all of these individuals are competing for bids. Why would they share ideas and technology, but it ended up being a wonderful success and of course has uh, stretched into an amazing festival um, from those beginnings. And so um, because I had been involved with that, I knew many organ builders in the United States and I knew um, uh, who who was doing various things. I knew some of the sounds of their instruments. Um, And when I, um, uh, I had gone to Rochester from Houston and when I came home, 
to Houston in uh, late 04, um, and I, I took this position at the Co-Cathedral of the Sacred Heart. We were building a new a new church here that mm-hmm. seated um, a much bigger space and, and needed a new organ. Um, and even before construction began, there was a, a very large uh, window uh, planned for the choir loft, um, and uh, it's a beautiful window, uh, um, but usually, if, as you know, windows aren't so friendly to mm-hmm. organs. And so um, knowing that I really hoped that we could get a mechanical action instrument and that the space was a little bit uh, limited and that the building was going up before we selected an organ builder and there was this window, um, I really um, I really felt that Martin Pozzi uh, does his best work under conditions that are brand new. <laughs> I, I, I think a lot of his instrument in Omaha was the dual temperaments, which is, you know, I think when you go see that instrument now, it makes complete sense. Um, but if you just heard about it on paper and had never actually experienced it, it would seem a little um, impossible. So like many great works of art, once you see them, they make sense. So I really felt like because of all of our constraints that Martin would um, uh, would do something wonderful. Um, he proposed a dual action in order to deal with the window. So we've got we, uh, as a result, have mostly a mechanical instrument, um, and the portions of the instrument that are not mechanical um, feel quite good and have more possibility than electro-pneumatic action. Um, and then the fact that it just sounds so amazingly good um, is really just the icing on the cake. So, I mean, I always say that instrument's a miracle, and um, it really is. I mean, that we that we could have an instrument at all or that it uh, has the dual action. And then, of course, the sound um, and the room is acoustically so fine. So it's really, um, it's just really been a great blessing. So, Krista, uh, you were mentioning a, a moment ago the famous Eroi Festival of, of Eastman School of Music, right, in Rochester, New York. Uh, and uh, I think we might have met each other at that specific conference in 2004 because um, uh, I and my wife, Osha, we've been um, doctoral students uh, at UNL, University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and we came to, to uh, Eastman uh, for this specific conference to present uh, on the work of Adam Gottlob Kasparini and you know they built a a replica of that instrument uh, uh, from Vilnius uh, in in Christchurch in Rochester so so yes and I know all about uh, the Opus 14 in Omaha uh, by Martin Pazzi with with dual temperament so uh, fantastic connections fantastic people and uh, it's just uh, one part of the very small wonderful world yes I think I remember that now actually I I do think I remember that I think it's you know in a way I'm not surprised because Mm -hmm. I feel like um, there are certain centers um, you know just uh, uh, centers of communities where yes I'm not surprised I do think I remember that now uh, specifically about Casparini Mm -hmm. and I did of course I I I know where you're calling me from and I I knew that the instrument was a replica so that makes Mm -hmm. perfect sense well hello again (laughs) nice to meet you again (laughs) right right and uh, do you remember by the way the, uh, when Bruce Fox uh, presented the way they make uh, metal pipes, I think uh, uh, they they made a metal pipe 
presentation uh, how the the casting of the pipe was made uh, in the fresh air on, in the tent I think um, yes casting on sand on yes, sand right which was amazing yes mm -hmm. so Munetaka Yokota was there too Hans Davidson of course Bill Porter uh, everybody that we respect today was there yes fantastic those are some of my favorite names in the organ world so that's fantastic very good <laughs> great so let's continue to talk about your organ right so opus mm -hmm. 19 it has dual dual action right not dual temperament like in omaha nebraska but um, um still nevertheless very challenging idea because you you, you mentioned this window right stained glass beautiful christ um, Yes. Uh, Christ um, depicting uh, stained glass window in the middle of the organ balcony, which had to be some, somewhat challenging to overcome this connection. And Martin probably uh, came with the idea of um, dual action, right? Can you tell a little bit about the idea of action uh, behind this this work? Yes, uh, he suggested that we use a system developed by Novel Org mm -hmm. um, in Canada, and it would be the first uh, installation like this in the United States. Um, and you know, when I look back on this now, I think, oh, you know, that, that probably was risky. <laughs> it was, you know, only uh, having been done a few times before, but uh, but it seems to make sense, and, um, and it has been very successful. So... Um, a simple way to think about the way it works, uh, where electro-pneumatic action, uh, when you push down the key, it's either on or it's off. So there are two possible positions for the for the note to sound, either zero or one. Mm -hmm. And with this electromechanical action, um, when you push down the key on our keyboard, um, there is a magnet that moves, um, and that magnet records 256 pieces of information about how you played the key or the travel of the key, the speed of the release, the speed of the attack. Um, okay. And so that magnet is on one side of the console. If you've seen mm -hmm. pictures of our organ, it's a split console, uh, not a split console. It's a split case. Excuse me. Okay. So that's on the console side. And then it, it sends the information across to the other, uh, portion of the case. I always say it's across the street because in pictures it, it looks very small since the window is huge, but it's over 45 feet, so it's it's pretty far mm -hmm. <laughs> in reality. So it, that, that magnet has a sister magnet across the street, and it tells that magnet, okay, you move in this way, these 256 bits of information. So it's a very interesting application of artificial intelligence, um, and you can actually, at the key, you can manipulate a little bit the pipe speech. You can manipulate mm -hmm. it to have a very slow opening or a slow closing, um, like you would be able to do on a mechanical instrument. Um, it feels a little bit different because there is a slight delay for the, the information to travel across the street, um, but it's uh, it's pretty pretty good. I mean, I think you can grow quite used to it very soon. Um, and then Martin had a lovely idea to put actually a dummy pallet box right behind that, uh, that last manual, the bottom manual, um, so that it feels a little bit like the tracker action of the other uh, divisions. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very successful and works, works well. You know, Krista, uh, Martin uh, successfully installed this new type of action, right, which uh, only been done before a few times. And when I, when I th think about the technology and uh, organ building today, 
Um, first of all, the virtual organ sounds come in mind, right? Uh, they built uh, organs without pipes today, right? Uh, uh, out of mm -hmm. samples of real organs, right? And uh, mm -hmm. so much energy is, is um, devoted to this kind of exploration, how to make the, the artificial sounding uh, uh, organs more... Um, more uh, pipe organ like right so but what mm -hmm. uh, martin did and uh, and uh, others like him is is also fascinating taking uh, uh, taking technology right and artificial uh, artificial intelligence and expanding the possibilities of the pipe organ today in the 21st century it's very innovative idea i would say don't you think It is, and I think actually, isn't it interesting? Because I, I, I sort of think of Martin um, as a very historic styled builder. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, there there are many many types of sounds one can get out of the pipe organ, and and I think they're all wonderful. And I like to have a variety in my musical life, just like I like to eat different kinds of foods. But I think of Martin as a as a, a historic style. Builder, um, and I think if you look at many of his instruments, they um, they tend toward maybe uh, the German Baroque tradition, for example. Uh, would you agree? Uh, which is a beautiful tradition, but I think it's also very interesting that someone who is so affiliated with tradition and history also had the courage and the gumption and the confidence mm -hmm. um, in te in. Uh, such a such a new technology um, to uh, to take a risk and to be innovative and to solve a problem. I, this is what is what always impressed me um, about him and his crew. So it took nearly ten months to install the instrument in our space. They did not construct it first in the shop because you know they normally build an organ in a case. That's their style, and our church. Uh, The, the building itself is the case. Um, and so uh, watching them every day solving problems was just, um, I feel like I could write a book about some of the things I saw. Mm -hmm. um, it was just very, uh, just a model of good engineering and, and problem solving and teamwork. So, um, so I just think it's very interesting that someone very historically affiliated also integrates um, the best technology of today as well. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, Martin uh, is himself documented, doc documenting his work through videos, right? You know, the series yes. of how to, uh, how to make an organ pipe, how to make a reed pipe, right? And he presents that uh, in, in his website also for people to, uh, to be educated also for organists and organ music lovers. So that's important to, to show your work, not only the process, the, the product, the finished uh, result, right? But the process itself, how it has been being made and what are the ideas behind it. So it uh, enlightens, uh, I think, the, the final product as well. Yes, I think in every way he is, uh, well, he's a very giving person. I think he's also very studious. And I think that he doesn't stop learning. So, I mean, if you look at the specification of our instrument, um, you know, another way it's not so like his other instruments is just the use of French reeds. And mm -hmm. so um, a great genius, I think, of that specification is um, two sets of reeds. Um, the swell reeds are more uh, French in nature, but if you look at the positive, those are more uh, German and kind of more velvety trumpet kind of sound um, mm -hmm. and more 
uh, early music. But then if you look at the great, there are two sets of trumpets. So um, there's the French and then there's the German. So, and I think, um, I think for someone to, someone to do that rather than uh, having sort of compromise reads that, 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 that are, are sort of a compromise for each tradition. Um, I just, I feel like the, the capability to render um, uh, several traditions in one instrument is just mm-hmm. really, really wonderful. And I, and I know that has come from his own very careful study of, of Caviacol um, and, and many of the sort of uh, uh, values that the Eroy Project um, was, was talking about many years ago. So this idea of sharing, studying, mm-hmm. pushing oneself uh, to always be improving. So um, all of those things are encompassed in that instrument. You mentioned uh, the double double reads, ra- double traditional reads, French yes. reads and mm-hmm. the German reads, which brings mm-hmm. us to the uh, to your new double CD that you are releasing, right? Uh, which is devoted partly for the Fre- to the French music and to the German music. Am I right? Yes, In this. it's true. Can you tell a little bit about that project? Um, in some ways, that I, I'm so glad uh, to have done that project, and in some ways, it was a really difficult project. The instrument plays everything well. Um, so if you look at the if uh, the two CDs, I believe it's about 155 minutes um, represented on those two CDs, and I, mm-hmm. you know, the it, it played. There are mutations on every manual, so you can play French classic, and you can play some obscure French classic music because mm-hmm. there is a gross tiers. There is uh, a really good voix humain. Um, there are mutations. You know, you can make a cornet on on three manuals. So, um, so I think you could look at that and say this is a very French classic instrument. I think the instrument is a little bit like that analogy of the the elephant, and then be, the elephant is being analyzed by blind men. You know, so mm-hmm. if you just see the trunk, you say one thing. If you just see the feet, you say one thing. You see the ears. So anyway, so the instrument has great capability for French classic, um, but you can play very well also the um, the French romantic repertoire as well. So the mm-hmm. room um, is. Uh, a beautiful room with at least five seconds of reverberation. Mm-hmm. Late at night, maybe you might even get seven. Um, mm-hmm. So much like uh, Parisian rooms, um, with beautiful harmonic flute and and a wonderful battery of reeds on the swell. Um, but then on the on the flip side, on that other CD, you can also play Sphalinx very nicely. Um, you know, all the way through Liszt. Mm-hmm. So it's just. Um, that instrument has so much color that it's very difficult uh, to program, um, you know, a 60-minute program mm-hmm. if you want to really show show the instrument well. So I hope I hope anyone who who um, uh, listens to this C- CD gets a really wonderful picture of all that the instrument can do. Of course, uh, and uh, and uh, uh, you mentioned those uh, uh, those different reads and different traditions. I wonder how Martin solved the problem of temperament uh, because it's not dual temperament. What kind of temper- di- temperament did he choose for this instrument? Do you know? I do. Um, it's actually a, a house temperament. It was designed by Mark Brumbell. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Mark Brumbell Mild, um, and uh, the the intent is for C major to sound very pure. Mm-hmm. So if you listen very carefully, especially in any pieces in, in C major, um, you can you can detect uh, uh, a slight unequal temperament. 
So mm-hmm. I did include one piece in C major on the disc, uh, a transcription by Mozart, um, just to sort of give everyone the flavor of uh, of C major. Mm-hmm. So fantastic! It's not not uh, not equal temperament, right? Like uh, like uh, it would be twelve equal semitones, right? But it's slightly unequal, right? To to still make some uh, different colors of the semitones and different colors of different chords, um, which is very very. Sensitive, sensitive uh, approach to to the music, um, but also it, it gives the flexibility to play many kinds of repertoire, right? Uh, old and new, uh, various traditions, which still sound convincing, don't you think? Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. I, um, we also have to keep in mind, of course, that this is a this is a cathedral instrument. The church is in use. Uh, uh a lot <laughs> i we have at least there are probably at least on a on an average week eight to ten uh masses where the organ is used per weekend um and we have uh over a hundred weddings a year um and many many um large scale services so you know obviously we wanted to have an organ with with wonderful capability to play the repertoire but um as always you know the first call of duty for an instrument like this is that it also um plays plays music for a church service mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um and now personally i love in omaha to hear him singing uh in mean tone uh, i find that just amazing um and and would love to have that but in in any project um one one knows how far one can push <laughs> <laughs> um, so perhaps uh, at a, perhaps at a later date there is a space in the church uh, that would would house an organ a second smaller organ very well and mm-hmm. so uh, we've always sort of hoped that perhaps someday a mean tone organ might go there <laughs> so I'll hold out hope I'll I'll say it on your podcast maybe maybe that will make a donor inspired to come <laughs> yeah, and we, give us this <laughs> uh, of course now that people will know about this project and uh, will know about my Martin Pazzi, how he combines those ideas and what can be done, right? And uh, uh, everything is really possible, and uh, uh, except um, there is one condition, right? It has to be very great cooperation um, between the musicians and the clergy, don't you think? Uh, because yes. when when yes. we are talking about those, uh, let's say extravagant projects, right? Uh, Omaha and Houston too, uh, where not even every organist can understand the difference between mean tone temperament and the well temperament and the brombo temperament, right? It's it's very, mm-hmm. very, let's say, it requires high, high degree of education, uh, specific uh, historical education too. Um, and then you have to present those ideas to the clergy, right? To your uh, bishop, right? And say, we need this, right? This, this space is uh, fantastic for this type of music and this type of temperament or instrument. So it has to, we have, as musicians, we have to communicate with clergy also on, on equal terms uh, using their language that they could understand. So I'm really curious, Krista, how, how did you manage to do this? Um, I, we've been really lucky to have great 
clergy here, actually, uh, and, and that's true. I, uh, I I say that in public and in private. Um, so at the time of the uh, at the cathedral's design, um, Archbishop Joseph Fiorenza was uh, really the the key in designing the cathedral. He wanted uh, he wanted a European building, mm-hmm. um, and and he uh, he hails from Beaumont, Texas, which is not um, a, a large city, but it has a lot of culture. So um, I believe probably because of his roots, he's not a he's not a pretentious person at all, um, and he he wanted it also to be grand and have a beautiful sound but he wanted it to be simple and not a baroque looking building so mm-hmm. when you go into our building um i mentioned that lovely acoustic um we have some beautiful statues but other than that it's very clean inside it's a very modern feeling building mm-hmm. so um i think that he was he's always been supportive of getting an organ um but he also wanted an organ that worked you know i mean as far i mean work in a in a good sense that was a service instrument and 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 served the people well um uh he is in his late 80s and is still with us and comes and celebrates mass with us pretty often, maybe weekly. Um, we also have uh, Cardinal Nadardo, who grew up with uh, Beckerot um, in Pittsburgh, and and can hold a very uh, convincing and knowledgeable conversation on mechanical action instruments, mm-hmm. and has said before that he favors mechanical action. So, I mean, certainly, you know, a very musical astute cardinal uh, is here, and um, and was very supportive. Uh, my rector, uh, Father Lawrence Jozwiak, is... Um, an absolute gift, and he is—he's uh, really the person that supports us day to day. He came to um, almost every AGO convention event that he could, um, and several people asked, you know, oh, you know, how's your pastor? Mm-hmm. So, well, he's wonderful. He wanted to make an appearance to be supportive. Um, he doesn't always understand what we musicians are talking about, but he definitely um, allows us to do our work and um, is in, as, as supportive as he can be. So um, so we really, you are right. I think that if if all of those things are in place, even if the clergy doesn't know the same as the musician, if there's a trust mm-hmm. um, there and, uh, you know, just a mutual respect, I think mm-hmm. that goes a long way. And I mean, and in return, you know, I think when any of these um, individuals have asked us as musicians to do anything. I mean, we, we always want to deliver mm-hmm. um, as they ask because we we do we do understand that um, we we know <laughs> that their support makes our jobs and our our music making possible. And of course, uh, there is another side of the of giving you as musicians do because uh, uh, your music program at the Cathedral is fantastic, right? You give back to the community and uh, make. Uh, it's a it's a term uh, you create added value to the cathedral mm-hmm. uh, it's not only uh, a um, uh, place for religious contemplation then but it's 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 a cultural center uh, right where people come from all f- um, all um, let's say uh, areas of life to experience something uh, which is uh, beyond their uh, abilities to understand, right? A, a, a mystery, right? And music plays a vital part in that. We really try to uh, be uh, 
value added. I know, I know what you're saying. I mean, I think that we do attract people because we do a, a rather traditional liturgy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's still the new mass. It's the Novos Ordo mass mm-hmm. still, um, but we try to do it in a very traditional way um, and with very, uh, you know, with classical music. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's a draw. You are correct that people who come here for extra liturgical events or, mm-hmm. you know, for like a concert or for um, uh, a gathering. Um, we do hope that they have a good experience here. And if that plants any kind of seeds, uh, you know, that's up to the Holy Spirit. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. a, so I think that's a nice thing. We did have um, uh, someone approached me after the convention and, and had a beautiful comment. And they said that I encounter God in your space mm-hmm. and then she said, well, I, I'm not Catholic. And I said, well, I, I don't care. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's lovely. That's fine. You don't have to be Catholic, you know. <laughs> um, but just, just the, it's very easy to sit in that room and be quiet. And if you hear lovely music or either singing or, or organ playing, or we also have a lovely Steinway D piano. If you hear someone, you know, just playing the piano, it's, it's very easy to quiet oneself and to experience something Different. It's different than going to, uh, a, you know, an Astros baseball game down the street, mm-hmm. <laughs> or uh, it's different than going to a store or to a mall or some other gathering. It's you know, so yes, we we really hope that music is a draw for people. Right, and uh, and of course, uh, when people come, they experience um, the, this mystery, the divine, and music is uh, all all around them. Um, they can bring their children to the church as well. By the way, do you have a, a children choir program in, in in this place too? We do have mm-hmm. a, a burgeoning children's choir or sort of a beginning children's choir program um, mm-hmm. that uh, that I started two years ago. We are a commuter parish, mm-hmm. um, so many people drive up to an hour um, to, to come to church here, and so, so we're a little bit different demographic than most parishes, but um, if you have been in downtown Houston recently, you know there is a you know so much construction, particularly residential. So mm-hmm. our demographic is changing toward uh, younger uh, people, and um, we believe children are coming. I myself have have a daughter, so and she sings in the children's choir, and we have a few friends who also live near downtown. So, um, so yes, we are working on that. I feel like uh, I feel like that's just so important to. Uh, you know, to pass on the love of these things to the kids. We do try to do a couple, at least one uh, sort of children's organ thing a year. Uh, a year um, in the past, I've had uh, Nicole Marine come and do Peter and the Wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and try to t- try to specifically reach out to kids. We also have schools that come and visit. Um, we always have an open door for sort of kids choirs if they want to come and sing a mass or have a demonstration. Um, we always say yes to those things. So, um, so we really do try to bring in. Uh, as much as possible, uh, the next generation. And maybe, just maybe, uh, uh, the next generation will become interested in playing the organ as well, don't you think? I hope so. Um, whenever I, whenever kids ask me to see or if they can touch, mm-hmm. I always say yes. I mean, I always say, well, as long as you're gentle. But um, for the most part, I think kids are just naturally fascinated uh, by what we do. So oh. it's sometimes hard to pull them away. <laughs> So, Krista, when when somebody asks you, like like a child, uh, like a kid, right, to to show inside of the organ, show the bellows, the action, uh, uh, you know, uh, let them play the, with uh, with fingers and feet, right? Don't you 
remember the same time where you were little and somebody else inspired you and showed you the the inside of the organ? Do you remember this, these days too? I do, mm -hmm. I do. There was um, there was a man uh, who I don't I don't know who it was now, but there was a man that played at my church in Brownsville, Texas, and I played the piano. And uh, I wasn't taking organ lessons yet, but I was just fascinated. And so I would always my parents would let me run up after mass was over uh, to the postlude and I would watch him play the postlude and then he would let me play after mm -hmm. it was finished and everyone uh, was leaving so I, I can see that man in my memory as clear as day I don't know who it was um, but absolutely um, and you know I think probably throughout as I'm sure it's true for you I think throughout my life as a youngster I can I can think of different people who just took an interest in making sure that I knew Uh, or that I could play or that I had access to right practice time. So, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. It's that whole each one reach one uh, tenant. And, you know... Um we will be probably forever grateful for to, for these uh, organist mentors who inspired us to uh, begin playing right and begin our organ journey and i remember also that uh, children love stories right you you mentioned peter and the wolf right mm -hmm. it's a perfect mm -hmm. story for for children uh, another way is um, Do, do you do um, uh, storytelling uh, improvisations, for example, in your uh, cathedral, where somebody comes in and improvises on a famous legend story, biblical story, any any kind of storytelling that that is possible? Uh, it's very powerful. We do this in Vilnius, in our university church, and um, not only for children but adults also. They are fascinated by the not only by the organ sounds, but how they can be translated from words into music because they have the program in front of them they 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 read the text and then later maybe they close their eyes and they they meditate and uh, basically imagine what the story is about right now you know like it's like silent movie basically only that's sound. beautiful mm -hmm. So I, I would I would actually love to see that myself. That, that's that's a really beautiful idea. I yeah, like it a lot. It's it's very powerful. So uh, so maybe maybe in your part of the world that could work also because uh, children always are children in wherever they live and they're fascinated by stories as uh, adults as well too. Yes. So fantastic, uh, Krista! Fantastic experience from from Houston uh, Na National AGO Convention, and fantastic experience uh, from uh, from working at Co Cathedral of Sacred Heart with this magnificent four manual instrument, right? Uh, with how many seventy four stops or seventy two? Seventy six stops. Seventy six, yeah. 70, mm -hmm. You're right. It's four manuals. Yes, so, 76 so uh, keeping all of this in mind, our conversation in mind, uh, before we close this conversation, uh, Krista, do you, can you remember one thing you wish you knew before you st uh, be, uh, started organ playing? Just one main important thing, which would make <laughs> your <laughs> Only life one. easier. <laughs> yeah, the main for, or Or three, that would work too. Only one. Um, you know... Uh, I think actually, and I, I'm, I'm saying this to myself now also, I mean, I think the most important thing is to keep in mind that anything is possible. 
Um, we, I really feel like as human beings, we can accomplish anything if we are willing to put in the time and work. I mean, sometimes with any of these things, with making a CD or with putting on a convention or with approaching your, your employment, I feel like sometimes we, we quit too soon or we, we get too overwhelmed. Um, I actually feel overwhelmed a lot. That's just kind of a constant state for me. But I feel like if we could just remember that um, it's just time, you know, or like a learning of new piece. Sometimes I think, oh, I don't know when I'll get this, but I'll just do this measure 10 times today. And then tomorrow I'll do the next measure 10 times. You know, I feel like it's just, it's just repetition and time and effort. And I think that can take us so far. I mean, intelligence is good and we need that too. Obviously most musicians are intelligent, but I, I feel like, you know, we're just capable of so much more than we often give ourselves credit for. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, I think really that's the one thing. I, I guess the older I get, the more I find that to be true and the more confident I feel in that knowledge. It doesn't mean I don't feel overwhelmed sometimes, but I, I, if I can sort of reason to myself that, you know, uh, you may not believe it, but maybe this will be possible. Perhaps you'll be looking back on this moment in a year and say, ha, oh, if only I had known this is, this is possible. So I think, I think that's a very important life lesson. So the right uh, mindset, right? The mind, the right uh, uh, effort, right? It, and everything is possible then, probably uh, in time, right? Not overnight, right? There is no such thing as yeah. overnight success, probably. But but uh, it takes seven years to be overnight success. They say yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That's right. And I mean, this is this is this is why you know I I like your show and I like your um I like your uh your blog because I feel like everybody needs to be reminded sometimes of these basic truths. I mean, they're basic and they're simple, but that doesn't mean they're easy to believe every day. So I think that's why you know the organ community is important, so that even uh, when you're quote unquote an overnight success. You uh, you still encourage yourself to push yourself and work hard and, and be inspired. So yes, and, and you did that, Christoph, for people around the world from uh, eighty nine countries now uh, who will be listening to you. You inspired them, I'm sure, and uh, your work uh, will be an example. How to do this um, in any other area? You know, they 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 can um, create music they can uh, play organ uh, learn how to play organ well they can uh, build a new organ or b they can um, commission a new organ they can uh, organize a, an organ festival you know all those activities that that you are doing it's it's an, an inspiration and and thank you so much for sharing your insights today thank you before we close this conversation, could you give our listeners a link where they can find you and your work online? Yes, uh, you can find me at my website, and it's my name. It's www.kristamiller.com. Uh, my name has an unusual spelling, so I'll spell that. It's C-R-I-S-T-A-M-I-L-L-E-R. Dot com. If that doesn't work, you can also find me at uh, my performing group, which is www.eastwestorganists.com, E-A-S-T-W-E-S-T, organists.com. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Krista, for being so generous. And uh, I wish you the creative and brave year ahead of you. And stay healthy. Thank you so much. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice, and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Pinkavitus. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you online really soon.